At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. We have a lot to discuss, and we're going to get to all of it, as well as your weekend. I hope it was a safe one. And, of course, this the coverage has been consumed by the Queen uh, and uh, the new King. I get it. There's a lot of interest in it. It's going to go on for the next two weeks. I'll cover some of it, but it's not going to dominate the schedule. We have a lot of other uh, things going on. And, you know, this is mostly symbolic. And it's another country. I know linked to us. But for the most part, I think we got to stick with things that are more substantial and more substantive and have some fun. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. It's happening with lightning speed. Advancing Ukrainian troops in the northeast Kharkiv region are taking back lost territory Despite casualties along the way, the gains have been rapid and dramatic. Is this amazing? Deborah Pata, uh, reporting for CBS, making major gains. That's the only way you describe the remarkable offensive from Ukraine, forcing Russia to retreat from Kharkiv and Kyrgyzstan in some places. And Putin, his field general, fired his field general after 16 days. This is all shows to me a degree of panic. Could the best be yet to come? Number two. We have very, very limited ability to see into Afghanistan right now. I've said I think we've got certainly less than two or three percent of the intelligence capability that we had before we withdrew. Frank McKenzie, the general in charge of the withdrawal, that was a disaster. 9-11 Afghanistan, the war on terror that never ended, even though we pretend it has. Differing views about the threats facing America and who the real enemy is. We'll review. Number one. What matters and what's going to matter here and what the Democrats who are so concerned about the threat to democracy, the most cynical, horrible thing I've seen is the money they're putting into Republican primaries to try to nominate Republicans who are election deniers. It is so true. Uh, Governor Chris Christie talking about that. 2022 never seems so close as the last primary is packing a punch in New Hampshire as Dems cynically try again to pick the Republican to face against a very vulnerable Senator Hassan while gloves come off in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. And a little bit later in this show, we're going to be speaking to Governor Sununu, not this hour. Uh, if not, we'll get you can get it online or get it on the podcast because he uh, definitely would have won. He is an extremely popular governor, very successful, very successful, well-known family. And I've met him. He's, he's very impressive. And I would say that he would have crunched her, crushed her. But he does not like General Baldock. And General Baldock is right now the front runner over Chuck Morse. 
and Chuck Morse uh, is is somebody to, uh, trailing by, I think, double digits. He is more in line with McConnell, more in line with Sununu. And uh, and I like Bolduc. He's He's been a good friend to this show, and he certainly has his military point of view that rankles a lot of people, and that's fine. I appreciate the service he's given to this country, but he's also said things about Sununu that he doesn't like. said Sununu's a communist sympathizer, a, a Chinese communist sympathizer, and fan the conspiracy theory about 2020 that Bill Gates was using COVID-19 vaccine to implant chips in Americans. I have not heard him say that, but that's what they're saying. You know, leaders in both parties believe Bolduc would be too far right to win. And now they have about $25 million. They have uh, millions of dollars put aside for whoever gets this nomination because Republicans need this seat. I don't know if they get it if Bolduc wins because they don't believe he has a shot. I think that would be wrong because the people of New Hampshire have a right to pick who they want. Republicans in New Hampshire have a right to pick who they want. If they pick him and you have money for him, you got to do it. But we'll see. They, no one can force him to do anything. What is pretty clear is Democrats have went out of their way to put money into Bolduc's campaign. How about this? They have spent more than $3 million to shape the outcome of this. That is more than Bolduc put in himself. So he benefited from that as they attack Morse on his behalf, hoping they'll win. Now, if you are President Biden and some of the Democratic Party, and you really think democracy is at stake by, because election deniers uh, refuse to admit that, that uh, President Biden won the election— why are you pushing these people that could very well win in Colorado and now governor of Pennsylvania and now Senate for New Hampshire? What makes you think that there's not enough good qualities that these men and women have to overcome what many people think is a minor thing about January 6th? That people think that's a horrible incident that came and went. Here's more from Chris Christie. Cut four. What matters and what's going to matter here and what the Democrats who are so concerned about the threat to democracy, the most cynical, horrible thing I've seen is the money they're putting into Republican primaries to try to nominate Republicans who are election deniers. If that's such a threat to democracy, why would you want to make one of those people the final two for the United States Senate? Then that is so true. Christie went on, too, to talk about the attacks on MAGA. Keep in mind now. If you are President Biden and you're focusing on bi- you know, your bipartisan infrastructure deal, your bipartisan gun deal, uh, the, bill, the mini Build Back Better, you jammed down our throats that Joe Manchin, and I'll talk about this later, got totally duped into signing. Okay? And then you bring up, well, there's, uh, there's these Democratic super PACs that are putting money into these uh, far right-wing candidates because they think they could lose the general. That's one thing. But he is actually running that Democrats are a threat to democracy, that MAGA, ultra MAGA, they're a semi-fascist among the Republican Party. And you are actually having super PACs on the Democratic side propel these candidates possibly to the Senate and governor seats. Here's more from Chris Christie. Cut three. The Democrats think that it's a winning argument for them in the midterms to do what the president did during that speech and attack, personally attack. The people who have supported Donald Trump, 74 million of them, who voted for him in 2020. As a politician, I say, great, go get him. Go get him, Mr. President. Because what people don't like, Donna, in politics, and you know this, is people who govern against brand. He ran to be a uniter. He ran and said he was going to bring the country back together. And then he stood on that stage with a blatantly red background, surrounded by Marines, and attacked 74 million people. You're, if he wants you're to do not that, a that's... MAGA Republican. Did you feel attacked? I did, because I voted for Donald Trump in 2020. Yeah, and right. And he worked for him. And immediately when he was clear he's not going to win the primary, he, he jumped on board. He was never chief of staff. That was really chronicled in great detail in Jared Kushner's book. 
But now it looks like if, if it's Donald Trump's going to be the nominee, I think Governor Christie runs. Uh, he's got to create some momentum, and maybe he can. In Pennsylvania, creating some momentum, I think, is Dr. Oz. Uh, he's going into the suburbs. He knows he's got to win there. He knows that's where he's trailing. And he also knows what to talk about. And he doesn't have to manufacture it. And he doesn't have to use any controversy. Crime. If you talk to anybody, I'm talking about people of wealth and working class people who have to use mass transportation or want to go to a Barnes and Noble. They're witnessing crime happening right in front of them, a smashing grabs at a CVS and a Rite Aid. You don't have to be somebody that has to go into a gang infested community to see crime that we used to see in Chicago and certain parts of New York and Philadelphia. It is everywhere. And that's what Dr. Odds is pushing, and he's smart to do that. He says he's pitched himself as a son of immigrants living the American dream. He doesn't talk about how many houses he got, but he shouldn't run from that statement. Fetterman comes out and says, well, Dr. Oz doesn't have any ha-. Listen, the guy became a surgeon. You don't do that. I don't care how much money you have unless you're going to actually sweat it out, work countless hours, not make any money until you're like 33 years old. And this doesn't matter what your parents do, who basically had nothing and started to emerge. When you get a syndicated show and you're still a surgeon and you become internationally known, there's nothing to run from. And I don't think you should be embarrassed that he's wealthy. That's another story. Uh, Oz also told Axios that crime is emerging as a top issue along with inflation. And Fetterman is extremely weak weak on crime. He wants to talk about abortion. Fetterman wants zero cash bail. And all that is true. He is an extremely weak candidate coming off a stroke. There's no way he's got a 10-point lead in Pennsylvania. He would have a – I don't think he'd have a 10-point lead in New York. Next, Wisconsin. Ron Johnson is trailing by about two to uh, Mandela Barnes. Now, if you follow Ron Johnson's career, he's always trailing, and he always ends up winning. This time, they're pouring pouring over $50 million into a campaign to stop him. Do you believe this? Just to stop him from getting six more years in that seat. That's what Democrats see him as such a major threat. So a major major theme to the Johnson campaign is going to be corruption, yes. But he's also talking about crime, which is great. Nowhere is that clearer into the negative ad blitz uh, that he's receiving now, he's going after Mandela Barnes simply on crime. And that will definitely resonate with the people of Wisconsin. And you know what he's using, too? The National Republican Senatorial Committee is doing an ad featuring an SUV, featuring the Waukesha Christmas Parade when that crazy murderer just drove through, through a, a parade of innocent people and killed them at a Christmas parade. And that's really the types of crazies that this guy, if you look at his background, belonged in prison. He got out and he killed again. He'll probably be spending the rest of his life there. And I guess the point is, does Fetterman want that guy out on bail? We know the same people commit the same crime over and over again. We know that they want to empty the prisons. They want to be able to rehab. There are certain people that are unrehabable. And that should be the theme if Republicans are going to be successful or if Democrats want to have success. You know, you see Senator Tim Ryan Congressman Tim Ryan tried to be Senator Tim Ryan and basically talk like a Republican, talk about being tough on crime, not going for student loan forgiveness. If, my goodness, to be successful, if you have to act like something else, isn't that bizarre? I have to forget about everything I ran on, everything I voted for, change my opinion on everything in order to dupe the people to vote for me. You should run on the fact that you passed all those things, you supported all those things that Joe Biden supported, that are so popular that Joe Biden's not asked to campaign anywhere. Just raise money for people everywhere. So the other big story is they're starting to roll Kamala Harris out. 
And I just can't believe Chuck Todd gave such a soft interview to Kamala Harris. I guess he's desperately trying to make her look good, but it's almost impossible. She just is, talks nonsense all the time. I'm talking about the courts. She talked about the border being sealed, courts being an activist court. Now, you could talk about decisions, but to go and attack another branch of government as a vice president, I think is nuts. Listen to her. Cut 10. I think this is an activist court. We had an established right for almost half a century, and this court took that constitutional right away. And we are suffering as a nation because of it. Really? Uh, returning this to the states is suffering as a nation because of it? They had a reason to do it. You could attack the decision, but I think it's really dangerous. Can you imagine if, some, if one of the Supreme Court justices says, well, you got an illegitimate president. Well, what's the big deal? That's what I think. And that's what a lot of people think. Whether it's Biden or Trump or Bush or, or, or Obama, yeah, you got an illegitimate president. Okay. That would be so inappropriate. But it's, it's exactly what's happening. For Fetterman in particular, uh, he is doubling down on – he doesn't want to talk about crime because he's weak on crime. He doesn't want to talk about crime because he lets uh, murderers out of prison. But when it comes to abortion, he's talking about what Kamala Harris also talked about. She wants more Senate votes to blow up the filibuster and to do election integrity, which means she wants to nationalize the federal election laws, which is extremely dangerous – because states want to have a shot, you got to go tell Washington State, for example, you can't do just solid mail-in voting anymore. You want to tell New York how many drop boxes to have. You want to say, take some of those drop boxes out in Georgia. Here's Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman, who wants to be the senator, and he also knows this: that if you get over fifty votes and you nullify Cinema and Mansion, you could do anything. Cut nine. Who wants? Me to be the 51st vote. Sounds like you sounds like you want me to be right. But you know what I would do if I was that 51st vote first. Rid of the filibuster. So right next, codify row. Good luck with that. Uh, by the way, uh, if Democrats are really that dumb. Do they understand that there's like a 90 percent chance that the Senate flips if it doesn't flip in 2022 and 2024? Do they know there's an excellent chance that a Republican is going to replace any Democratic nominee? You want to hand over the Senate to the Republicans in two years? Now, you try to jam everything down everyone's throat and hope you get everyone on the same page. But to me, it's the ultimate short term, short sighted approach to this whole thing. 1-866-408-7669. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. We'll go over the latest. We also have a special master. It looks like the president, uh, the former president Donald Trump, has got to submit his uh, criteria and some of his suggestions for a special master, even though it's being challenged in court. The Department of Justice wants to use just one of their people. That's farcical too. We'll see if they can agree on this. It seems to be a brawl for it all, and we'll discuss that. When we come back to on Afghanistan, uh, 21 years since 9-11 events, Fox did an incredible job covering it. I think many people are noticing it. I love that they sang the national anthem and took over from the singer at, uh, in New Jersey at the Jet game yesterday where you just shut it down almost like the Islanders did in hockey and you let the crowd take over. I mean, two years from when they were taking a knee in the national anthem and some uh, knuckleheads still are. I love the fact that it's totally flipped on its head now. And the NFL televised 
the national anthem, which I think is great. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's a humiliating defeat for Vladimir Putin's men who have been forced to beat a hasty retreat and a clumsy attempt to save face from Moscow, who says it's withdrawing to reinforce troops in Donetsk. Ukraine has been emboldened by the steady supply of Western military aid, but it needs more to keep the momentum going, says the mayor of the now-occupied Melitopol, Ivan Fedorov. That's uh, the reporter for Face on Face the Nation, the CBS foreign correspondent, talking about this stunning news that Moscow abandoned two major areas in the Ukraine, Kharkiv region on Saturday after Ukraine forces choked out a major supply point of Russian troops. Uh, Putin, at the time, over the weekend, was at a Ferris wheel, de- Ferris wheel dedication. They still hold a fifth of the country, but Putin has gotten rid of a general that he put in place just 16 days ago after this crushing defeat in eastern Ukraine. Some say that they picked up 3,000 square miles. Some can, can, we cannot confirm that, but we do confirm about 1,158 miles have been reclaimed. Uh, by the way, the Russians are so panicked, they are throwing off their uniforms, wearing civilian clothes, hope to not be recognized, abandoning their uh, military vehicles as well as their tanks and just running for their lives. I mean, they wrecked the place, no doubt about it, but they're running towards the border. Now, listen to this. The leader of the Chechen Republic, this Ramzan Kardiyev, this uh, horrible person, but he has a fighting, a lethal fighting force. He was uh, actually put into the fray by Vladimir Putin. He says his own fight. He sent his own fighters to Ukraine. Says if there are not immediate charges in Russia's conduct of the invasion, he would have to contact the leadership of the country to explain to them the real situation on the ground. So they're having fights amongst themselves. They're in control of the social media, this social media thing, Telegram, and they only put pro-Russian people on there, pro-war people on there, and they can't believe the ineptness in which they're witness, the pro-war bloggers. Some were embedded with Russian troops near the front line, are amplifying the Kremlin's false message that Russia is fighting Nazis. And they go ahead and say everything they're supposed to. But when it comes to actually saying what's going on, they're also saying what they're supposed to. And that is that it's going terrible, that Ukraine moved, uh, has moved to Crimea following its annexation in 2014. They're starting to do some criminal activity there. Uh, there's got 2.3 million Telegram followers, and they're starting to be honest, saying that they're calling for the president, Vladimir Putin, to just go ahead and call a draft and call it a war. But Putin knows that would be a disaster for the Kremlin if they had to do that because they just saw called it a special, a special action. When we go back, I'll expand on this. Also, on Khalid Sheikh Mohammed possibly getting a plea bargain. Can you believe that? As well as his other 9-11 hijackers. That's nuts. 9-11, what the message was from Sunday, and what the reality is 21 years later in Afghanistan.
information you want, truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I know you have, since leaving uh, your position, shared that you advise President Biden not to draw down to zero, to leave a residual force of 2,500 troops in Afghanistan. It's the right of the commander-in-chief to keep his own counsel and reject the advice of his military commanders. If you felt so strongly, why didn't you resign? Once a civilian leadership makes a decision, even though I might disagree with that decision, it is my moral responsibility to execute that order. To resign is not in, is not in, the, uh, in the history. It is, not, it is not something that U.S. officers have typically done, and it sends a very bad signal. It is a political act by an officer who must need and must be and remain apolitical. Well, number one, I, a lot of people would leave. And number two, I know he's Secretary of Defense at the time, but when the, when the President of the United States, President Trump, said, I'm pulling all the troops out of Syria, General Mattis said, you know what, you could take, uh, take my position. I'm going to quit. And they basically, the president said, good, just give it to me now. And he's, he switched it out. And we had a new Secretary of Defense. So General Frank McKenzie tells the president, you can't leave now. If you leave all the troops and leave Bagram Air Base, we don't know what's going to happen. So the president goes, I'm doing it anyway. And he kept his job. And McKenzie famously got the call from Bardor, who was running the Taliban. And he they got him out of prison. They negotiated with him at the Doha. They broke every, uh, they broke every axiom in the... Uh, every rule agreed upon in Doha, they're on the cusp of taking Kabul and said, do you want me to take the capital? Because everybody, all the Afghan troops had left, including Gahani, has left. Or are you going to take the capital? And we, like idiots, said, we're just going to keep the airport. And now 9-11 crystallizes all this. Let's bring in Congressman Michael Waltz. Congressman Waltz, is it break with tradition for a general to say, I'm leaving command if you... Well, pull out all the troops. Is that something that you that you uh, says traditionally you just suck it up and do what the what the president does wants you to? Yeah, Brian. You know, I mean, nine eleven is always difficult and painful, but I have to tell you, uh, this one was especially painful. Seeing uh, the Taliban caliphate uh, now in place, which was the which was the realization of Osama bin Laden's dream to have an extremist caliphate with all the powers of a government and army staffed with our equipment, uh, and al-Qaeda back in Afghanistan. To your point on, on General McKenzie, I can't tell you how many times he's testified uh, before us. And, and he makes that point that, hey, resigning would have been a political act, and I have a responsibility once the president hears my advice to just carry it out. Well, you know what? He also has a responsibility to the 13 soldiers that are no longer in Marines that are no longer with us in Kabul, he has a responsibility for the future Americans if we ever get hit again uh, that you know, will no longer be with their loved ones if we have some kind of Pulse nightclub or, God forbid, a 9-11. And he has a responsibility to the soldiers that are going to have to go back to clean up this mess. Uh, and if we go back to uh, 2011 – when Obama yanked us out of Iraq with no plan, which, oh, by the way, who was in charge then was then General Lloyd Austin, now Secretary of Defense, with no plan. We have ISIS exploding on the scene, hundreds of thousands of dead across the region, attacks across Europe and the United States. And we now have more soldiers back there cleaning up that mess in Syria and Iraq than we had there back in 2011. So those are also a general's responsibilities, and I think the ultimate responsibility is to the troops. 
uh, and to the troops under his command. And I absolutely think he should have resigned. I don't understand these four stars. I don't understand these four stars that do uh, a kind of a legacy tour after they've retired to kind of clean up their legacy uh, when when they could have taken the stand when it mattered the most when they were in the job. Absolutely. And by the way, maybe if you say to the president, hey, Mr. President, this is my advice, but I will tell you that if you don't go with the advice, I'm going to have to resign. I, I can't be a part of something that I know will be the biggest disaster in American history. I can't in good conscience do that. Obviously, you don't have any faith in my ability to analyze the situation, even though I've been doing this for 50 years. So you deserve somebody else anyway. And just also to clarify the record, I'm sure you know, Vice President Biden was in charge of Iraq and General Mattis was there and he tried to convince Biden that pulling in 2011 all the troops out would be a huge mistake. Not only did we have a mute, we almost lost Baghdad and we got ISIS. And then we had to fight our way back in, convince the Kurds to fight for us. And sadly, President Trump, to a degree, abandoned uh, the Kurds in a way in which I never agree with, nor did you. But he didn't totally. He kept a presence there, at least. That's right. And when Mattis didn't like it, he left as Secretary of Defense. So I'm not buying this McKenzie apology tour, nor the Mark Milley I I should stay in power tour. Yeah, well, but let's just take a, a brief run through history that the three areas of the world that Obama gave to Biden, charged to Biden to focus on were Ukraine, <laughs> Iraq and China. And let's see. Uh, let, let's look at how all three of those went with China marching across the South China Sea and militarizing East Asia, Ukraine getting invaded in 2014 and, uh, and, and the explosion of ISIS in Iraq. But yet Biden believes he's the smartest man in the room. He's been a politician since his late 20s, not a speck of dirt under his fingernails. And, uh, and he ignored the military's advice in this case, Brian. And you know, if we, if we do flip the House, uh, when we flip the House, there will be accountability. The, there has not been a single official that has resigned, been fired, been relieved. Uh, for this debacle that was worse than Saigon, because at least with Saigon, I don't think there was a reasonable expectation that terrorists were going to flow from Vietnam back into our homeland. But they're absolutely uh, that that is what is going to happen, in my view, and in the Mm. intelligence community's view uh, from as a result of this uh, disaster. Well, Florida Congressman Michael Waltz with us. So I just wanted to hear this. So one thing I, I do agree with is that McKenzie said is when uh, when the administration says, I point to al-Zawahiri and over-the-horizon attacks do work. They, they One hit in one year does not show yeah. me that over-the-horizon's effective. Here's McKenzie, cut 23. I would be careful about drawing conclusions about our ability to operate effectively in Afghanistan uh, in a counterterrorism sense based on that single operation. Well, I think what's most concerning about the, the CIA strike that you mentioned was the fact that he was living in, in very good accommodations in downtown Kabul. Mm-hmm. And that should give us all pause and also speak directly uh, to the ill intent of the Taliban in negotiating with us as we worked with the Doha Agreement, which was the attempt to find an end to the war in Afghanistan. I think it, it's a manifest example of their, uh, of their inability to keep their word. Well, yeah, fundamentally... So he's even saying, stop bragging about being able to take out al-Qaeda. It's a bad sign that he was there. Yeah, that's right. And he wasn't there alone. His lieutenants are back. The U.N. is saying ten to 15,000 foreign fighters are flowing. It, uh, the, you know, Afghanistan has become the Disneyland, the mecca of, uh, of global terrorism, right, uh, you know, under the umbrella of the Taliban. Uh, al-Qaeda is absolutely back. ISIS is growing. 
they fully intend to hit us again, and they're developing the capability to do so. But at least when we had to go back to Iraq, Brian, you've heard me say this before, we had the Kurds to work with. We had the government in Baghdad. We had bases all over the region. We've got none of that in Afghanistan. But McKenzie has testified to us when he was, you know, before he retired, that, hey, we can take care of it. Now, after he's retired, he's telling us that we have 2 to 3 percent of the intelligence uh, visibility into Afghanistan than we had before we left. And that should scare every American. And there, there has to be accountability for this. Uh, real quick, because I want to get to Ukraine. Uh, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, Ramzi bin al-Sheib and others getting a plea deal in order to they just want to avoid the death penalty. Uh, should we be cutting deals with the hijackers and the and the mastermind of the hijacking? Yeah, look, it, this administration, the Obama administration, they just want to wish terrorism away and they just want Guantanamo uh, to go away. Right. Uh, but you know, the bad guys didn't get the notice that uh, Biden had decided the war on terror was over. They didn't get that email or that memo. Uh, and, it, you know, it, we have to have somewhere to put these people. The only other place we had besides Guantanamo was Bagram Air Base. We saw what happened with that. Uh, and, I mean, this is, this is just a stick-your-head-in-the-sand strategy. Try to reach a plea deal uh, and, and, and make it all go away so that they can, you know, I don't know, focus on the Green New Deal or whatever they want to focus on. But, but the enemy gets a vote, and they're coming, Brian. You, uh, no question, sadly. Uh, Ukraine, unbelievable news over the weekend. They're taking yeah. thousands of miles back, pushing the Russians across the border in Kharkiv. So we also know, they, as I mentioned earlier, Vladimir Putin was at a dedication for a Ferris wheel. He fired his general after just 16 days. Uh, we know his, his, his akin to Secretary of Defense has been sidelined, too. Uh, the, the Ukrainian army chief says that they're advancing in the south and east and now in the north. What is exactly going on, Congressman? Yeah, well, I think this combination of U.S. intelligence uh, coupled with the long-range missiles that you know the Ukrainians have been asking for since before the war, uh, and and we're uh, the HIMARS, right? Uh, that they're finally getting, and I think we should have given them what you know it's called the ATACMS, which even has a longer range. Uh, how much more effective could they be? Uh, if they fully had everything they've been asking for. But but look, this is great news. This is exactly what Zelensky in our meeting uh, uh, just a few months ago when I went over there was hoping for, was to shift the momentum and shift the line so that Russia couldn't dig in this winter when they start turning off all of Europe's gas. Uh, so that's fantastic. I'm very focused, Brian, on this uh, Z-Putin meeting that's coming up, uh, the first since before the Olympics uh, last year. Uh, but also this uh, arms deal with North Korea that Putin has uh, brewing. We'll get a briefing on that later this week. Uh, and, and the nuclear plant that's still in the middle of the fighting in the south, you know, Europe's largest and, and a, just a nightmare scenario there. So this is great news, uh, but we have a long way to go. Right. Uh, but, for example, the, I hear in Kyrgyzstan it's slow moving. They're paying a price. But if you have to go, you know, sew up – the uh, other areas of the battle of the battle lines, you might yeah. have to abandon, get some of that force strength and move it elsewhere. And if you can start some guerrilla activity in Crimea and elsewhere, that will further dispirit and concern right. what's happening in Russia. You could get on the offensive by getting behind enemy lines because they're stealing children, sending them into Russia, uh, hijacking families. I mean, these guys could not be more cruel. This is no yep. time to take 
to say to yourself, okay, let's cut a deal. They still have a fifth of the country. Yeah, that's that's right. And they have uh, some of the most productive from a manufacturing, mining, and and the ports along the Black Sea. And those are the areas that that Putin wanted the most. Uh, And to your point, I I don't think we have a real picture of how brutal uh, the Russian occupation is going, but we have received reporting on what they call a filtration process. Uh, And I mean, you know, obviously the Russians don't do conventional land warfare very well, but they do secret police uh, extraordinarily and brutally well. And I'm just thrilled to see these areas get liberated from that uh, brutality. But again, uh, we have a long way to go. Uh, I'm watching China closely and watching this North Korea deal closely that uh, could come to the rescue for Putin. Uh, lastly, uh, have you gotten briefed yet, uh, being that your your place on armed services and elsewhere, about what was in President, what was at Mar-a-Lago? Uh, we have not. Uh, that will go to the intelligence communities. I know they've requested that. Uh, and I mean, if this were so dire that, it, right, I mean, it was reaching to the level of a crisis point, uh, at least that's what the Department of Justice wants us to believe, that they had to raid the home, then the big eight, you know, um, that the leadership of the House and the Senate and the intelligence community should be briefed. And if it was military intelligence, then I would expect our committee to be briefed. But we've had nothing zero zilch uh, from <laughs> from this Department of Justice. It's just unreal. All right, uh, Congressman Michael Waltz, uh, the House Armed Services Committee over in Florida. Uh, thanks so much, Congressman. Always great to talk to you. Okay, thanks, Brian. All right, 1-866-408-7669. I'll, uh, I'll finish this hour. We'll crash in some calls and also go over some other things that you need to know uh, today as we watch uh, the ceremony as the body of the queen is being escorted by the king through Scotland. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. It's just extraordinary the bank of internal knowledge that she had in her in her heart, in her mind, having spent time with this entire span of United States presidents and leaders from all over the world. She spent time with Mother Teresa. She traveled to India, South Africa, Nelson Mandela. I mean, just in embodied in this one person, she had this extraordinary wealth of experience, which is just a, a phenomenal, starting with Winston Churchill and World War II all the way through to the present day. So I, I don't, there's not a comparable human being who has that kind of wealth of experience. And I think that's why you see this as such a significant moment. I mean, if you try to think to yourself, you know, the next funeral, who, what, what would be the large event that would be even comparable to this? It really is difficult to think of anyone who would even come in as a number two. Right, except for Geraldo. Geraldo, <laughs> don't you think Geraldo would be number two? Uh, if he was only King Geraldo, maybe. But he does have a – I loved it on Friday when he was like, my one regret is I never actually met the queen. Like, it was up to him. That, right? he, ah, it was up to him ah, to invite her over. I was so busy. I'm yeah. sailing. I'm going <laughs> at war. Queen keeps calling. Um, but one person, if you couldn't meet the queen and wanted to see somebody almost equally accomplished, and Geraldo was on a boat you know, without a shirt on – where do you go? Well, if you're Hillary Clinton, you go right to the Speaker's house. Cut 42. I think Nancy Pelosi is the, is the gutsiest uh, woman in politics right now because 
she has shown through all kinds of turmoil and challenge uh, what it means to somewhat like the queen to be uh, uh, drawing an analogy here, get up every day, put on those high heels she wears, uh, suit up uh, to fight for the values uh, and ideals that she strongly believes in. Unbelievable. Uh, but that's Hillary Clinton. She's out now because she's promoting a terrible show uh, on, I think, Hulu. So she's out doing things and commenting. Uh, and, of course, every time she, sp- she talks, uh, people want to pay attention because it's Hillary Clinton. And sometimes you just can't believe what you're hearing. But that's exactly uh, that's exactly what you get. So the Queen right now, the ceremony's been great. It's been classy. I think the Andrew, uh, Prince Andrew, now King, Prince Andrew, uh, uh, Prince Charles, now King Charles III, I think he's been awesome. I think he's been right on the money. I think he's very natural. Obviously, he's been thinking about it his entire life. I thought it was pretty amazing. And I'll just paraphrase. Christine Anapur, the foreign correspondent with CNN, one of the few people still there. She obviously is way to the left and pretends to be an analyst. And of course, she's extremely smart. She's extremely biased. She says, I really think at some point the king has got to address and apologize for oppression and offer reparations to the colonies, the once colonies of the Brits. Are you kidding me? Give money to people that weren't alive, the things that happened 200 years ago, when in a lot of cases there were huge upsides to the occupation by the British. But you can't go back, as we've been saying over and over again, 200 years to people that have been long dead and buried and say, I'd like to apologize for people I never met either that lived in the country and held the position that I now have. Never going to work. Hey, go to BrianKillMe.com. We had a great time with everyone who visited us in Albany, went to our live show at The Egg. We're going to be in Brandon, Mississippi, as well as uh, beautiful Tulsa, Oklahoma, on November 12th and 13th. Just go to BrianKillMe.com and order your tickets. And don't forget, December 2nd in Newark, New Jersey. Brian Kilme Show. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world. A big hour coming your way as we continue to monitor what's happening over in England uh, as they finally, it's going to take about a week to bury the queen and the king is getting used to his new job. Uh, Very touching moments and it seems the whole world is watching. Michael Goodwin's going to be with us shortly. The whole world will be listening to him. And Congressman Darrell Issa will be here. So we have a lot to discuss. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It's happening with lightning speed. Advancing Ukrainian troops in the northeast Kharkiv region are taking back lost territory. Despite casualties along the way, the gains have been rapid and dramatic. Unbelievable. Major gains by the Ukrainians. The only way you describe it, a remarkable offensive from them. While Russia is humiliated, they are changing their clothes out of their uniforms, dressing like civilians in order not to get killed. They're leaving Kharkiv. They're being pushed back in Kyrgyzstan and around that country. They could be in Donbass soon. Vladimir Putin firing his field general. Panic time for the Ruskies. 
Number two. We have very, very limited ability to see into Afghanistan right now. I've said I think we've got certainly less than two or three percent of the intelligence capability that we had before we withdrew. Pretty cool uh, that Frank McKenzie is trying to change his reputation because he was in charge of the army uh, that fell apart and pulled out and allowed Afghanistan to fall to the Taliban in record time with al-Qaeda now in Kabul. Isn't that great? 9-11, Afghanistan, the war on terror uh, never ended, even though some are pretending it has and blaming other people, domestic terrorists, as the real threat. I doubt it. Number one. What matters and what's going to matter here and what the Democrats who are so concerned about the threat to democracy, the most cynical, horrible thing I've seen is the money they're putting into Republican primaries to try to nominate Republicans who are election deniers. Uh, Chris Christie, 2022, never seems so close as the primary season is packing a punch in New Hampshire as Dems cynically try again to pick the candidate, the Republican, so extreme they believe will have the will most likely lead to success for Senator Hassan in that very vulnerable Senate seat. We'll also look at the latest in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. Uh, let's bring in Michael Goodwin, New York Post columnist, Fox News contributor. Michael, welcome back. Good morning, Brian. Thank you. Uh, first off, when when it comes to uh, 9-11, I thought it was really classy 21 years later. I think people are really paying attention. I love the fact that uh, at the Jet game, full voice, the singer stopped and they let the whole stadium sing. Two years ago, we were talking about who's kneeling. Now we talked about who's not singing. These are positive things, at least for the people that we saw, did not forget. I agree with you, Brian. It really is touching to see those things. And uh, uh, my paper, The Post, had a wonderful story on the on the babies, that the, the babies who were born after uh, their fathers were killed on the, at the Trade Center. They're now 21 years old. And um, it's quite a... Quite a thing to see that uh, a whole generation has come upon us uh, since then, and and yet, as as you point out, and as these incidents prove that the, at the stadium, uh, a lot of Americans have not forgotten and never will. They never will. Uh, but you know, people are forgetting who the real threat is. As our border is wide open, and people on the terror watch list have been found, people think that that uh, right wing extremists are the biggest threat here. We're sleepwalking through the threat that still exists. Al-Qaeda is back in Afghanistan. Well, and it's interesting in a way, Brian, because you could say that, um, in fact, uh, over the 20 years when we were in Afghanistan and we were on watch uh, at home and abroad around the world for any signs of this, you know, budding up again, uh, we succeeded. I mean, the fact that there has not been the kind of major terrorist attack in America, yes, there have been a lot of individuals, small groups, but you haven't seen the the big mass casualty attack that so many of us feared would become fairly routine after 9-11. I mean, that one seemed fairly easy when we knew the details of it. Uh, And yet, and I know myself and I think many other journalists felt it's going to happen again. I once said that to Ray Kelly, then the police commissioner. I said, doesn't it feel inevitable to you? We'd gone through a stretch of a number of foiled plots. And he said, I don't feel that way at all. It's my job to make sure it doesn't happen. And we're up all the time. We're do- you know. And I really felt almost embarrassed that uh, how stalwart a lot of the law enforcement and defense people were 
about this, and and it, and it didn't happen again. And so now, when we take our take our foot off the gas, when we withdraw completely from Afghanistan, when we lose the eyes and ears uh, on that part of the world, when you know this, yeah, you can send in a drone to kill somebody from far off, but you can't necessarily hear what they're saying on the phone, or you don't get any human intelligence on the ground. And so I think we are now at a heightened danger of this, this kind of radical Islamists once again, as we saw that, uh, that al-Qaeda with Zawari uh, was back in Afghanistan. I mean, that's how it all started. That's where 9-11 was, was hatched, in Afghanistan, by al-Qaeda, and they're back again. So General McKenzie is trying to rewrite history. Maybe he's telling the truth, but he did not say half of what he said now that he's retired. Listen to what he said to Margaret Brennan on Face the Nation Cut 20. I know you have, since leaving uh, your position, shared that you advised President Biden not to draw down to zero, to leave a residual force of 2,500 troops in Afghanistan. It's the right of the commander-in-chief to keep his own counsel and reject the advice of his military commanders. If you felt so strongly, why didn't you resign? Once a civilian leadership makes a decision, even though I might disagree with that decision, it is my moral responsibility to execute that order. To resign is not in, is not in, the, uh, in the history. It is, not, it is not something that U.S. officers have typically done, and it sends a very bad signal. It is a political act by an officer who must need and must be and remain apolitical. I'm not pretending that's an easy decision, but if you tell the president you're that emphatic that this decision is so wrong that I will resign, maybe that president changes his mind. I don't know, Brian. I think the answer he gave, uh, I tend to believe that's the right one for the military. I think it's different if you're the Secretary of State or something like that. But I think if you're in the military, um, you follow the civilian leadership. You may not agree, but look, nobody nobody can be 100% certain. And so you you do. I mean, that's the way our system works. If we had people resigning every time they disagree with the commander in chief. Well, I, I think you're I right. Think that, but this something this catastrophic, well, knowing that you're pulling out of a country that's about to be overrun, even though you're telling the president's like that's not going to happen, you know differently. Mr. President, if we leave Bagram Air Base, this whole country could fall. OK. It's all right. I'm going to leave it. If you let, I can't let you let, I, I think General Miller left because of that reason. When it became clear that we were going to leave that country, and we, even though there's NATO forces weren't even informed, he, he basically quit. Well, look, I mean, and, and I think that that will happen from time to time. But I think the, the import of Margaret Brennan's question was when you disagree, uh, why don't you resign? I mean, I think I think his answer was a good general answer uh, to most situations. Now, there will always be exceptions. There will always be individuals who believe it's a bridge too far. But I thought his answer is the right one for the military, because I think the alternative is you get this. Where does it end? In other words, what how do you draw the line about, a, about a, an issue that's important enough to resign over? For, I mean, this whole thing with the woke military, 
You haven't had anybody resign over that, but I think there is a general sense among many of the leadership you're weakening the military with this woke nonsense. So I think that's a, it's always a tough call for an individual on the line to resign in protest. Uh, generally, you don't achieve anything. Uh, generally, you know, you wash your hands, you walk away, mm-hmm. but it, t- it tends to be, I think, demoralizing for the remainers, and particularly in the military. It's a, it's a different code. Uh, Kamala Harris was out and about, and she was asked to defend some of the things that the President Biden has said about, uh, about semi-fascists and ultra-MAGA. Here's what she said. Cut to. Joe Biden has spent his entire career, it is on for all to see working across the aisle his whole career sometimes he's been criticized for believing in bipartisanship for believing in compromise for believing in working across the aisle finding common ground his whole career has been that there are moments in time when we have to also agree all good people who care about our country that there are those who right now are vividly not defending our democracy I think we want that our commander-in-chief, the president of the United States, will speak up and raise the alarm about what this means to our strength and our future, much less our integrity. Do you feel as though the vice president uh, made made sense? I do. I I mean, I feel from from a partisan perspective, that's the most coherent she's been in some time. Uh, I mean, there's some very funny things on Twitter of her word salad uh, statements over different issues. But look, uh, obviously, the the issue here is the detail. When he says defending our democracy, the way it came across in Philadelphia, the way it comes across when he says it virtually every time, is anybody who disagrees with the Democrats is a threat to the democracy. And this is this is being used not for the good of the country, but for the good of the Democratic Party in the midterm elections. And I think that's the sinister and cynical nature of this. And, of course, Harris is going to defend it. That's her job, too. But it just strikes me as a as a really serious misreading of the public. And I I think it's going to sow ever more seeds of discontent and of disunion when you talk about people that if they don't agree with you, if they if they say something you don't like, Call they a are a threat to democracy. Uh, that, a fa- that's a real thin ice. Right. So she had to go defend that at, in terms of, let's see how that resonates. Uh, what she had to say is defend uh, semi-fascists and ultra-MAGA and also say uh, Joe Biden spent his whole career as a unifier. That's that's a tough sell. While at the same time, you, the Democratic super PACs are are uh, putting millions of dollars into those so-called ultra MAGA candidates to make sure they get the nominations. I'm not sure those two worlds can exist together. Right. The other problem, I think, the biggest one outside crime is the border. Kamala Harris is in charge of the border. She's been an abysmal failure, absent on the job. Here's her answering this question. Some very easy questions from Chuck Todd. Cut 35. Would you call the border secure? The border is secure. But we also have a broken immigration system, in particular over the last four years before we came in, and it needs to be fixed. We're going to have two million people cross this border for the first time ever. You're confident this border is secure? We have a secure border in that that is a priority for any nation, including ours and our administration. 
But there are still a lot of problems that we are trying to fix, given the deterioration that happened over the last four years. They keep saying over the last four years the border was never more secure as it was over the last four years. And I don't, I don't, why is she even using that? Do you feel as though she could say with a straight face, the border's secure? Right, right. Um, that's, the, that's the Kamala Harris we've come to uh, ridicule so often. And it's, it's to me, I mean, this is, this is Chuck Todd uh, at his lickspittle best, which is never to confront her with the facts, never to really say, how can you say that? How can you say it's secure when more people have come than ever before? How can you say it's secure when you have uh, people coming from all over the world through the southern border? People are coming from around the world to come into the United States through Mexico. I mean, think of all of that. And he, so he doesn't raise those things that would be contrary to her claim. I mean, that's just bad, bad reporting. But with him, it's you know, par for the course. All right. Uh, we'll see what's going on. We'll continue to watch the Queen and King coverage uh, while at the same time seeing a sprint towards the midterm elections. We're now 60 days in, as well as watch what's happening with the special master and Donald Trump. Michael Goodwin, always great. Thanks so much. My pleasure, Brian. Thank you. You can follow him at mgoodwin underscore NY Post. When we come back, we'll take your calls, one 866 Then in studio, Congressman Darrell Issa, California. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Four quick points. One, tactically, um, this is really hurting the Russians, but also it's the loss of manpower, the loss of morale as they watch this unfold, the Russian troops. Operationally, what the Ukrainians have showed us is they can conduct a complex, dual front, if you will, offensive set of operations using combined arms very effectively. Thirdly, strategically, think how this is playing today in Beijing, where they're in preparations for the big meeting with uh, Xi and Putin and how this is being portrayed there. They're going to try and make it look better than it is. And then fourth and finally, and I think most obviously, huge psychological uplift for the Ukrainians. Look at that flag flying. Um, look at the faces of those people. Um, as, as one would say about war, the morale is to material, the equipment as mm-hmm. three is to one. This is a pretty good moment for the Ukrainians. Yeah, that was Admiral James Travitas, and this is a major offensive between 1,000 and 3,000 miles gained over the last three or four days, and there's no sign the Russians are looking to make a stand. They're not making as much progress in Kyrgyzstan, but they made tremendous progress in Kharkiv and elsewhere, and if they got to take some forces out of Kyrgyzstan to help the other areas, that'll allow them to move through that region. So maybe they could start doing some guerrilla warfare in the Donbass area, in Crimea, and start rattling to their core. Uh, we, do, we also know that Vladimir Putin goes to a Ferris wheel opening at a time in which his army's falling apart. Alex, listen on WABC. Hey, Alex. 
Hey, good morning, Brian. Thanks for taking the call. By the way, this general you're just talking about, I think it's McKenzie. General McKenzie. Why didn't he ask President Biden why President Biden didn't want to secure Bagram Air Base? I, up until now, I didn't hear a reason for that yet. And so resigning wouldn't be just a political move. It wouldn't even be like General McKenzie was resigning because he had a, had a different opinion than the president. Resigning would be because it, it was a completely irresponsible move not to secure Bagram Air Base, and there was no reason behind it, so it was absolutely careless. If the president couldn't tell this general why he doesn't want to secure Bagram Air Base, then he's just completely careless, and he should have resigned to show protest, and if there there would have been a certain amount of protest coming from the military in this country, from people at the level hey, of Alex, yeah, I mean. You, you brought up a good point because when McKenzie resigns, that's a huge move. Why is it that the, the man in charge of Afghanistan is leaving because he knows how bad this move is? It might sober up the president to realize, my goodness, if this guy who's not against me sees my decision so bad he'll quit, maybe I should rethink it. And maybe 13 more people are alive and 25 uh, wouldn't be in, in the hospital. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Would you call the border secure? The border is secure, but we also have a broken immigration system, in particular over the last four years before we came in, and it needs to be fixed. We're going to have two million people cross this border for the first time ever. You're confident this border is secure? We have a secure border in that that is a priority for any nation, including ours and our administration. But there are still a lot of problems that we are trying to fix, given the deterioration that happened over the last four years. I cannot believe she's even saying that, considering that almost any official Border Patrol uh, or anybody at Homeland Security not politically compromised would tell you the last four years they had gotten hold of the border in a very pro- a prolific way, and it would be one of the best things they could have done is just leave it alone. Instead, they broke it. With me right now is Congressman Darrell Issa. Uh, of course, you have 88 miles of the border, your district. Uh, exactly, and and we also have 147,000 pounds of fentanyl and meth from the last year's seizures alone sitting in our lockup for prosecution. And if you get that much, it means there's so much coming through they can afford to even lose that. It's probably 5% of what went over that part of the border, uh, but it's enough fentanyl to kill everyone in the state of California, uh, just just what's in that so locker. how could she say that? She knows different. She was a senator from your state. Oh, she was also the attorney general, but she's also a pathological liar on behalf of the administration. And I don't use the word lie uh, easily. This is something where down is up, up is down. They're perfectly willing to say the border is secure when it isn't. They're willing to say that we need uh, immigration reform. What they really want is they really want wholesale amnesty for everyone that's already here. They want to take what happened in the Obama administration, Obama-Biden administration, uh, which included normalizing, if you will, people that were here illegally, and they want to make them citizens. That's their program to increase the Democrat Party. It's a brilliant program. The problem is it's not good for Americans. It's not good for inner city minorities. It's not good for minorities, including Hispanics who were already here, who are looking for jobs and the opportunity to move up. Uncontrolled border is a problem for the very people they say they represent. Where, where are they getting off saying it was a broken system, was abused by the previous four years? 
If it wasn't smooth, the president went through a few Homeland Security directors. He was down at the border. He had, no one wanted to build his wall. He found a way to repurpose money to do it, built 435 miles of it. Very interesting that her tactic is just to say it was broken when I got it. The last time we made any major, any legal change to our immigration policy was during the Clinton administration. And before that, it was the Reagan administration. There's no question at all. There are things we need to do. The problem is they're not the things they want to do. What we need to do is have a guest worker program that works. What we need to do is make it easier and quicker if you are coming here legally to get through the process. Um, And, oh, by the way, we have to do what – you know, Trump did for the first time in a generation, which is make it hard to come here illegally. Right now, coming illegally makes sense. When I have people from Afghanistan or Ukraine who are having trouble getting in here legally, I have to tell them if they fly to Mexico, show up at the border, they will get paroled, and then we can work while they're in the United States. I have to tell them, in a sense, to circumvent the law because it's a lot faster and easier. Well, then you could also get a bus to Chicago or to New York or Washington, D.C., uh, because the if you get through Texas, then, of course, there's a chance to do that because this Governor Abbott is absolutely fed up. This is a Texas problem being ignored. I am watching city fighting city, state fighting state, because the federal government won't even acknowledge that there's a problem here. Have you ever in your life seen this? Texas fighting with New York, Texas fighting with the mayor of Chicago and the governor of Chicago, all because he's trying to convince them that this is not just a border problem, a border city state problem? What started as something we thought was sarcastic by the by Governor Abbott turns out to expose the hypocrisy of the so-called, uh, you know, sanctuary city, sanctuary city, sanctuary states. I'm in a sanctuary state, but they don't want uh, to this unless they get federal money. Washington, D.C., the ultimate sanctuary uh, city, is furious because if they don't get money from the federal government, they might have to take their billions of dollars of surplus they presently have and use it on some of these people. Well, they don't want to do that. But that's what you're going to have to do. We have... Two million plus people who have been paroled into this country, and yet we don't have enough people to farm. We don't have enough people to to work in a lot of areas. One of the reasons is they're not coming in as part of an immigration process where we're assigning them to meaningful work or even for that matter, encouraging them. If we had those two million people in a coming in in a guest worker program, we would have filled all of our shortcomings, particularly in agriculture. But that's not what we're doing. These people are coming in and, quite frankly, going into the social safety net. In some cases, they don't even know what they want to do because they simply knew that it was time to come to America. I mean, they come in, we pay for their hotel rooms at a five-star hotel. That's what New York chooses to do. Then we put them in school systems so they don't speak the language, so they need special services. And they go over there on on New York City tax dollars, Chicago tax dollars, and they're going to get involved in our school system where they're going to get a free phone. They're going to probably get closed and they get a place to stay. That is not the situation. This is not what that situation can actually sustain. And now New York, do you why people leave New York? Is because of this reason. They're paying all this money in taxes for services they're not getting. I want you to hear what Mayor Lightfoot says. Tell me if you think this is accurate. Cut 36. We don't treat people with this lack of respect, lack of dignity, putting them on buses to an unknown destination with very little food, very little water. They have uh, very little um, that they need um, when they're on these um, multiple 
our cross-country bus trips. They sign up by their own volition, witnessed by New York delegation was sent down there. Nobody's forced to do anything to go into an air-conditioned bus and to go into a, a city like Chicago. So this is what – that's an inaccurate but if they told, description. But, but, Brian, if they told them the truth, who would really want to go to Chicago? Absolutely. It's crazy. <laughs> I mean, it's a, nut, it's a nut house. It is the misinformation that they're coming to a place where they have no greater opportunity in most cases. But remember – she, what she's really saying is you should do it like the administration. They give them food tickets and they put them on an airplane to the place they say they want to go. Without telling the governors or the mayors, even if it's a Democratic state. Absolutely. But remember, the, the absorption of 2 million people and counting, and it will be 4 million, 6 million, 8 million, is a cumulative problem that the cities are just beginning to see. And it's a problem of nothing wrong with the people. For the most part, good people coming here. But right now, Brian, as we speak, I still have people who helped us in the war in Afghanistan that are still sitting in Qatar and other places trying to get here. I have people sitting in Poland who are displaced, who have family and connections here that are hoping to come here uh, while the war wages on and can't get here. Why? Because our system of coming in through the front door is broken, but coming in the back door through Tijuana is completely open. Right. Uh, I remember when I was in California working at XTRA All Sports Radio. People used to go to Tijuana all the time. Hey, I'm just going to go over there and just have a good time until you want to come back. I think people think twice about doing that now, correct? Because of the drug cartels taking over Mexico, because of the uncontrolled fentanyl passing through there, it has become more and more dangerous. It is killing the ability to have tourism in Mexico. And quite frankly, it's going to kill Mexico as a, an independent country because the cartels have enough money to buy off the government down there. And it's money because we're not controlling the flow of fentanyl we're into the U.S. We're not pressuring the Mexican uh, government to put their 20,000 Marines on their southern border, letting everybody know this is not the time to come. And there'll be a situation where there will be a system that makes it somewhat easier to get Ecuadorians, Honduras, uh, Venezuelans in here. OK, there'll be a system. I, I tell you, I had interviewed. I've talked to so many people. I don't walk into a business without asking how it's going. And they, they say, we want these workers. No restaurant I know has said, I have enough help. They want the workers. They, most people, they want to work, but they're afraid to hire them because they don't want to get nailed for doing it. And they also patriotically don't want to do it either. And there's no system to do it. They want to fill out the paperwork and be able to pay them above board. Listen, uh, real quick, and because when we come back, I want to talk about the Ukrainian war, how it's changing some of the Ukrainian refugees you need to get out. Why is the Hispanic vote? going to Republicans at a time, at a rate in which I didn't think I would see unless there was an all-out offensive at your part to get them. What, what's going on here? What's happening is a an entire group is realizing, as President Trump said, how's that working out for you, voting lockstep Democrat? They finally realized that this was not in their best interest, that the Democrat Party does not support their values, but it also doesn't support their best interest. Under the last administration, employment in their community went up. Opportunity went up. The border being controlled meant that they had an opportunity, the ones that were already here, uh, to move up in the chain and to prosper. All of that disappeared practically the day President Biden was sworn in. Which is interesting because if the Hispanic vote does go to the Republicans precipitously, if you want to see a Democrat crack down on illegal immigration— let them know that they're not going to be your voters when they're eligible to vote. Sadly, that might be the reality that gets their reality real. 
there's never been a question. My grandfather was a dyed-in-the-wool Democrat because he came in that era. Uh, by the time my father got home from World War II, he was a real believer in Eisenhower and a real believer in the Republican Party. That's a maturity that's happening to this this large immigrant community that has now come of age. And by the way, Hispanics have more aspiration to start small businesses than the population as a whole. Small business is the backbone of the Republican Party. And you're a self-made business success story uh, before you got into politics and also served in the military. So you're an expert in a lot of areas. Congressman Darrell Ice, when we come back, the major progress suddenly made by the Ukrainians. The impatience some Americans are having right now by writing big checks to Ukraine when it could be used here. Your take on that and so much more. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kilmeade coming up. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's important over the next three months to do things like this, to gain some momentum, because the feeling is this will help lock in European support. They're very worried as the Europeans go through a dark winter, uh, the winter of our discontent, as he described it, that short of seeing military progress on the ground, they might become much more wobbly in their support of Ukraine. So a lot of this is not just about military advance. It's about shoring up Western support for Ukraine, getting them through a very difficult winter where Mr. Putin's going to turn off the taps. Uh, That is Richard Haas, foreign policy uh, guy on MSNBC. With me right now is Congressman Darrell Issa, all over trying to get refugees out of Afghanistan while the government was failing or not being interested. He was doing that. Just got back from Taiwan. But uh, a military person like you, we're in kind of a unique situation. Ukrainians are fighting. Uh, they They do need to win for all of Western Europe. It's not propaganda. This change in momentum what do you take away from it? We've gotten they've gotten between a thousand and three thousand miles back of territory from the Russians who are leaving their tanks and military gear and some uniforms and running. You know, before uh, they went into Ukraine, we used to think that Russia probably was the second best military in the world. We now know they're the second best in Ukraine uh, because you have a motivated people. They they are they are reasonably well trained, but they are extremely motivated. And now they've been backed first by old Russian equipment, but now by U.S. and Western NATO equipment, and it's making a difference. But it's tactics and it's motivation that that is causing it. And now that they're winning, the momentum is on their side. Now that they're relieving people that have been under siege, it's on their side. The one thing, Brian, that we need to be aware of, though, is that we have used up a massive percentage of the available Western weapons, harpoons, uh, stingers, you name the the type of weapon, we are short all of them. As I, as I mentioned, I just came back from Taiwan where they have billions and billions of dollars that they pay for of American equipment that they have on order that's on back order. And one of the challenges is we've got to send it to Ukraine because they need it today. We've got to send it to Taiwan to create, uh, if you will, the deterrent from China going in, and we're not producing enough. Why this, is that? Je- uh- Congressman, we we can make the stuff. It's sales. It's money. And we have to replenish our own coffers. What's the holdup? We can make it. 
One of the problems with the defense system is it's used to getting orders uh, years in advance, scheduled, and when you tell them that you need to surge, they're very bad at it. And we've got to get better at it. We've got to we've got to find a way to, and, it, and some of it may cost us money, but it, all of it has to be done because if we actually went to a major war, let's just assume that we were in a conflict directly with one of these super, other superpowers. We do not have the ability to surge within NATO right now, and we need to have it. Afghanistan, we fought over 20 years. We scheduled over 20 years uh, the equipment, and as time went on, we needed less and less of it. So uh, some of it is the kind of equipment that you think of as capital equipment, the Humvee, so to speak. But a lot of it's simply ammunition, particularly advanced, uh, smart bombs, smart rockets, smart missiles. Uh, So – that's one of our biggest challenges is, and you mentioned the money before we went on break, if we're not willing to uh, provide the means to the Ukrainians to save their country, then clearly we're going to have to spend far more to prepare to defend yeah. our own country. Uh, how about this, uh, Congressman? You know Georgia goes next. If, they, if Ukraine won quickly, Georgia would be gone by now. Moldova would be next. And then they're going to start pressuring the Baltic nations saying, hey, do you want an invasion? Start changing your leaders. I'm going to start putting my candidates. I'm going to start infiltrating their life. And there will be five Baltic nations saying, for my own survival, I'm going to have to give in to Russian influence. But if you stop them here, then there's an excellent chance they're going to, they're going to have to change leadership. They're going to have to think internally and then realize they're not that fighting force uh, they were billed as. And then Georgia starts realizing they can fight back and Poland and others. This this to me this matters so much in the Ukraine. Well, and I think people are missing that on the Republican side too. Absolutely, and you know it's it's so easy to to forget about how we got here. For sixty years, we we spent a lot of money and and a lot of troops uh, in Europe standing up against the Soviet Union till where we finally a bankrupted them and b liberated all these countries right now yeah. that are back in peril. It's a domino effect, though. It can go the opposite way. And if it goes the opposite way, it has it has an effect on us where we're back into a Cold War war against the superpower. The, the reality is Ronald Reagan called Russia, Soviet Union, the evil empire. John McCain was able to call them a gas station impersonating a country. The difference was the size of their economy. If we can keep them from getting their economy the size of Italy with – satellites like Poland, like uh, Ukraine, if we can keep them from getting back there, yes, they're a nuisance, but they're not a superpower. That should be our goal. Look, Sweden, Finland, uh, Poland, uh, these countries have money. So let them buy our equipment. We'll provide the training. They'll pay for the training, and they will be the fortress. We don't have to be there, correct? Absolutely. Just in the last year, uh, because of this, the NATO members' increase in, in orders represent tens of billions of dollars of additional U.S. sales that, quite frankly, will be profitable to the United States, but it also means we're not spending that on defense. Exactly. They are. That's why it's important to arm Taiwan, too, and that's why you went. And Taiwan is a cash-paying. Every cent they pay out of their own budget, we need to support them. No downside. And like the Ukrainians, their willingness to fight because they know the alternative is dominance. They know what freedom is. Exactly. Thanks, Congressman. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. 
Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world, where uh, we got the pleasure of having Brett Baer on the bottom of the hour, kind of set the table with 60 days left uh, to the midterm election. It is a sprint in Governor Kristen Sununu is standing by. They have a primary on Tuesday. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It's happening with lightning speed. Advancing Ukrainian troops in the northeast Kharkiv region are taking back lost territory. Despite casualties along the way, the gains have been rapid and dramatic. And that's reporting on the ground in Ukraine. Um, Making major gains, that's the only way you describe with the remarkable offensive from the Ukrainians forcing Russia uh, to run for the hills in Kharkiv and maybe in Kherson. Vladimir Putin uh, seems to be losing it. He was at a christening for a new Ferris wheel. No joke. Number two. We have very, very limited ability to see into Afghanistan right now. I've said I think we've got certainly less than 2 or 3% of the intelligence capability that we had before we withdrew. Uh, no kidding. Uh, Frank McKenzie laying it on the line. The general who was in charge of the evacuation, which was such a disaster. 9-11 Afghanistan and the war on terror that never ended, even though we pretend it has differing views about threats America should face and is facing. Some say it's on the uh, from Islamic extremists. Others think it's Republicans. Number one. What matters and what's going to matter here and what the Democrats who are so concerned about the threat to democracy, the most cynical, horrible thing I've seen is the money they're putting into Republican primaries to try to nominate Republicans who are election deniers. Uh, That is Chris Christie, and he's 100 percent right. 2022 never seems so close as the last primary is packing a punch in New Hampshire and Dems uh, cynically try again to pick the Republican to face Senator Hassan, who they think is the easiest to beat. So is that why you want your millions of dollars? Is that why you donated? Now, it turns out it's General uh, Don Bolduck, uh, and he is uh, he is against uh, Chuck Morse. And Chuck Morse is the pick of Governor Sununu. Now, Morse is the favorite candidate uh, of the Republican establishment, too, and receiving over $4.5 million in reinforcement from McConnell-aligned super PAC. So that's supposedly keep him in, I guess, contention. But if you look at the real clear average, it's Bullock by substantial amount. Uh, he boasts uh, conservative uh, grassroots support. He's got, it seems as though not a blatant endorsement, but President Trump has says uh, hasn't endorsed officially, but says he's a tough guy. He praised him as a strong guy and a tough guy. Senator Hassan, unbelievably vulnerable. Governor Sununu would walk right through. He'd be up by 15 points right now. Uh, she is acting like a Republican. She says, I'll stand up to President Biden's administration. Really? I'm going to secure the border. Really? I'm listening to frontline personnel. I'm against the student loan forgiveness. So Hassan will say anything to keep her job, including do something she hasn't even voted for. Uh, it looks like the, the governor endorsed Morse on Thursday saying this. The stakes are very high, uh, in this election are very high. Former President Trump not officially endorsed, but you know where he stands. Bulldog uh, came out and said uh, some things about Governor Sununu, uh, stating essentially that they believe he was uh, uh, under the influence of communist China, which I did not know was even possible uh, for Governor Sununu to possibly do, especially with his family, his roots, his knowledge of foreign policy. I think he might be the last one to do it. He also said he's fanning conspiracy theories in 2020 that Bill Gates was using COVID-19 vaccine to implant chips in Americans. I want to see if General Bulldog could actually say that. That's what they're putting out there. But millions of Democratic dollars are now put in to his campaign. Here is more from Chris Christie. Uh, Cut three. The Democrats think that it's a winning argument 
for them in the midterms to do what the president did during that speech and attack, personally attack, the people who have supported Donald Trump, 74 million of them, who voted for him in 2020. As a politician, I say, great, go get him. Go get him, Mr. President, because what people don't like, Don, in politics, and you know this, is people who govern against brand. He ran to be a uniter. He ran and said he was going to bring the country back together, and then he stood on that stage with a blatantly red background, surrounded by Marines, and attacked 74 million people. You're, if he wants you're to do not that, a MAGA that's... Republican. Did you feel attacked? I did, because I voted for Donald Trump in 2020. Governor Chris Christie spelling out. I mean, exactly what I thought, uh, too. When you say MAGA Republicans, people aren't embarrassed by Donald Trump's policies. They may disagree with him personally. Some of the tweets where he took his election January 6th and whatever, the rally he had. But when you look at his policies, strong on defense, uh, build up your de- uh, strong defense, but try to get in as few f- uh, conflicts as possible, the trade deals that happened, building up on the border, not many Republicans had a problem with it. With me right now is Governor Chris Sununu, uh, uh, continues to be a rising star on the Republican side. Governor, welcome. I know you're busy today. Uh, busy every day. We've got a big primary tomorrow. So uh, as you know, in New Hampshire, when politics starts bubbling, it, it gets pretty exciting here. But but we're doing well. There's no doubt we're, we're crushing it here. But we just got to kind of sort out our primaries and drive to big wins in November, you know? I, I know this. I know that uh, there's a lot of the Pennsylvania establishment were disappointed in Mastriano getting the nomination. In Maryland, I know Governor Hogan says, I'm not even going to support the Republican nominee there that's going to replace him because he's term limited out. And I know you're firmly for Morse and not for Bulldog. But according to the polls, Governor, it looks like he's trailing significantly. Well, uh, the polls haven't been done in the last couple of weeks, so I think it's I think it's a very close race. Everybody decides what they're doing, kind of in the last couple of weeks, and it, I think it's interesting. We haven't had a poll in the last like ten days or so. So why is that? To, to sees. I don't know. I really don't know. I, I, I mean, back in you know 2016 when I had a four-way primary, there were polls like every week coming out. So I I can't tell you why the polls aren't aren't more fast and furious. But I think everything's kind of in our first congressional our second congressional district and our Senate race are, are all up for grabs. So it will be p- pretty exciting. One, one thing I can tell you, though, no matter who wins after that election, we are unified. We, in, in New Hampshire, I can't speak for other states. New Hampshire, we're unified as a party. You cannot win uh, and give kind of confidence to those independents if you're, if you're coming out as a broken party, if you're coming out as extremists versus moderates for everything. To your point, we all want regulatory reform. We all want tax cuts. We all want somebody to get in there and you know put some some band-aids on this inflation crisis that Biden has caused. These are the things that galvanize independents and Republicans together. That's what we're going to win on in November. But, Governor, that's why I find it so odd. And you're so much more experienced in politics than I am. You grew up in it and with your dad and your brother. But when he was saying ultra MAGA and MAGA, I'm saying, does he understand what the acronym means, Make America Great Again, and the policies that surround it, not just sayings, but what they did for four years? So if he wants to no, say, no, no, I no. want a weaker border, I want higher taxes, I want more foreign wars, I'm just, I would, I'm saying to myself, what's going on here? Are you, uh, what is your take on it? What, what about that strategy? <laughs> Look, there is a strategy, Brian. Look, this guy, it just got up and read a speech at some 25-year-old socialist Turk out of, out of the White House road for him. I don't think there's any Biden strategy. I don't think he's, he's driving the message. I don't think he's driving some sort of Democrat strategy here. They told him, look, you are now the political head and you're going to drive political points and put that ahead of being the leader of the United States of America and bringing folks together. And if you look at exactly what he said in that speech with those 
red lights and I don't know, it was like Fausti and I don't know what was going on. Hey, set design alone, the White House is failing. Let's just all accept that. Um, but then you look at what he was saying that, you know, this ultra mega stuff is violent and da 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 da. And then we're just going to ignore all the riots, the woke riots of 2020, burning of the cities because we don't agree politically, burning of the cities because there's injustice um, and all the violence and the anti um, uh, police and, and, and public safety rhetoric that was coming out of the Democrat part. We're just going to ignore all that, right? He, he's not. He's not driving the boat here, man. I don't know right. who is. I have some suspicions. I think we all do. But he's just getting up there and reading the speech that they told him to read. So that's why I say all the time, let's. I'll I'll throw Biden exactly where he belongs under that bus because he's created the problem without a doubt. But let's not forget this is a Democrat Party problem. Don't just pin it on one guy. The Democrat and he wants to make it a Trump problem. And he wants people yeah, to put Trump on the ballot there. Um, and that's a, that's 2024. So General Bullock has raised five hundred twenty seven thousand dollars for the entire race up until the end of August. <laughs> Do you know this Democratic super PAC put in three point two million to attack more somebody that you are backing? Uh, so what is your take on that? I know in the past they say that General Bullock says that you have been uh, bought and sold by China. Uh, and <laughs> I did not know that uh, bought and sold by China. And that uh, I, I guess that you're not a, a Trump fan, even though he doesn't officially have the Trump endorsement. Could you get behind General Bulldog? Would you talk to him if he gets the nomination? Oh, yeah. Look, I'm going to get behind whoever wins. That's one of the, the biggest responsibilities I hold as leading the party in New Hampshire. Do we agree on everything? No, not everything. Do we have personal differences at the time? Yes, absolutely. But that doesn't mean we're going to throw a, a broken party into the mix to let Democrats drive first and potentially be the 51st vote that Joe Biden needs. We are not going to let that happen here in New Hampshire. You know, the Trump stuff, I talked to our former President Trump uh, about a week, a week ago. Uh, we had a great conversation, a, a fantastic conversation. I was trying to encourage him to actually get involved in the race. It doesn't look like he's, he's going to do it, but that's okay. Uh, but we had a fantastic conversation. So, look, we can have our differences here and there. Um, we can have different styles, different approaches. But folks across this country have to remember that if you let your party be divided within your state, within your congressional district, whatever it might be, you let those personal things. And and look, primaries get chippy. We all know primaries can get a little chippy, but you have to put that ego aside. You got to stand above it and say we have a responsibility to the citizens we represent. And that is bringing a win home for the Republican Party. And that only happens when we give confidence to independents, we look solidified, and we talk about those kitchen table issues that drive people to the polls and say, yes, there's going to be a change, not just talk, but an actual change that's going to help us bring inflation down, bring these prices down, bring electricity rates down, whatever it is. Uh, You don't vote for someone just because they they talk nice. Vote for someone that actually can get results and bring something home for the citizens they represent. So here's what the Republicans evidently do. Uh, the GOP Senate Leadership Fund reserved $23 million in ads against Hassan for the general election. But if Bulldog wins the old nomination, there's a sense they might cancel it. What could you tell me? Uh, what would you recommend the leadership fund do? Would you, would you, you know, wait, because you want more, yeah, right? Correct? Week. You want more. Yeah. yeah, look, you wait one week. You will see the polls with Bulldog within striking distance or even ahead of Senator Hassan. Senator Hassan has spent $35 million in the past year. And her approval number has gone from 42 percent to 42 percent. I don't care if they spend 100 million on the Democrat side. The citizens of New Hampshire want her out. Now, we're going to need some help from Washington in raising money. We have a very short general election. We always do. But we have a candidate, no matter who comes out of this primary, we're going to have a candidate that is within striking distance or maybe even ahead. 
And so it's just a matter of looking at the polls, looking at the reality, and, and knowing that we are very close to if not uh, pushing it over the line, I feel confident the money's going to be there, the support's going to be there, the national emphasis that we need to, to uh, send uh, Senator Hassan packing. That's exactly what's going to happen. Senator, uh, Governor, you, you would be up by about 20 points right now uh, in a head-to-head <laughs> for that, and you probably Senate. wouldn't have any yeah. primary opponent. Uh, do you, have you rethought that at all? I mean, do you, no, was no. that a tough decision for you? No. I mean, it really... Yeah, I think I think the phone might have dropped. Over. Oh, there you go. Go ahead, try that again, Governor. I kind of missed the beginning. All of these things, you need someone playing defense with an administration like this. And governors have a lot of uh, ability to do that. Remember, states come first, right? And I have to constantly remind Washington: we created you, right? The states created you, and you're beholden to the states. Just like in New Hampshire, we defer to the locals. We defer to towns and cities to make their own decisions as much right. as possible. Uh, yeah, Governor, I think we're losing uh, you a little bit. But as we try to get you into a, a better area, uh, real quick about you uh, uh, personally. When when people start talking about you as successful governor, you're extremely popular. Uh, you're extremely popular right now. At what point will you think about when you're going to run for president? All right, we're going to try to get we're going to try to get him back. Uh, we got a couple of minutes left in the segment, so we try to get him back. Um, meanwhile, there's other uh, big races. Ed Rendell joined me on One Nation yesterday. Excuse me, on Saturday, and we talked about where this country's heading and how divided the country is. And my theory is, if you want to really be the uniter in chief, I know you can't be that on every issue, especially during elections. But what my point is, when it comes to challenging elections. Um, when it comes to challenging elections, both sides have been doing it. It is unhealthy for the country. If you point out both sides are doing it, let's start fresh in 2022. That, to me, is leadership. Uh, Governor, we got you again? Hey, we got you, sir. I was on a rambling uh, – I was on a great rant there promoting my state. Uh, I have no doubt China got involved. They didn't like to hear again? positive GDP. They don't <laughs> like to hear capitalism and, and, and capitalistic success, so they're coming after me again. I get it. It's all right. Nothing new. Two, th- look, two, two we more. are on a roll, and we are going to stay united. That's okay. the big message. Got it. And I so love that, that is good to know. Day. I did not know you'd get behind uh, uh, Don Bolduc if he does win. So just two more quick questions for you. Number one, fentanyl is the one or two biggest issues for the people of New Hampshire. Is that true? Um, it was, and it, and it still is for us. Uh, we, look, we used to be number two in terms of overdose deaths in the country. We're now about number 25. Good. The reason is I, I blew up. I created a whole new system. I blew up that old system. It didn't work. And we're getting we're, we're now the only co- state in the country where overdose deaths didn't increase the last two years in 2021. So we still have to stay right on top of it. My message on fentanyl to, across this country is this. It is a whole different ballgame. It is cartel driven because the border is wide open. It is in your kids vape cartridges. They're mixing it with marijuana. They're mixing it with Adderall. They're mixing it with Xanax. Right. They're mixing it in very different ways. So it is cartel driven. Folks aren't even, aren't even saying, yeah, I think I'm going to take fentanyl. They say, I think I'm going to take Adderall. I'm going to give my kid Adderall. I think I'm, I'm going to take Xanax for my anxiety. And they're getting hooked. Gotcha. It's a whole different ballgame. So we're trying to stay ahead of that message and let folks know there's no safe experience and, and drive forward on it. But it is a big issue. And we'll, we'll keep right. it a big issue. Forty five seconds. At what point will you decide whether you're in or out of the 2024 presidential race? 
I'm sorry, Brian. Could you repeat that? I, I couldn't hear you. You're breaking up there. You liar. <laughs> now, look, man, I, I love New Hampshire, and i got to get through 22. I tell everyone this. Even if all those other candidates that want to run for president, you better focus on 22. As Republicans, we better close this deal in November right. across the country. Man, you, are fine. you have a lot of energy. Matter. And by the way, it's just so weird the way you break up right in the heart of my conversation with my best <laughs> question. You're really hurting Chinese, my Brian. career. The Chinese again. Thank you, Governor. Brian Kilmeade Show. We'll be back with your call in just a moment. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The president has been very clear um, that uh, he intends to run again. And if he does, I will be running with him proudly. Probably. <laughs> if he asks me again, uh, probably. I guess I don't know if I should be too presumptive. I think the president's running again. I know Ari Fisher's on the record, others saying this is impossible. It's not, because if he keeps running, he's got that machine there. He's got people that want to stay there that won't be invited to stay if Gavin Newsom runs and wins or uh, Kamala Harris runs and wins. They probably want to keep their jobs. They know the influence they have. They know the limitations of the current office holder. They know they'll have even more latitude after. I think Susan Rice is running the whole thing, especially when you see the amount of screw-ups from foreign policy uh, on uh, ongoing. And you heard what Daryl Issa was telling us at an earlier hour that he came out and, and said that we're basically running out of weapons for ourselves because we, we're selling and giving so many to Taiwan, Iran, excuse me, Iran, Iran please, not yet, uh, and Ukraine. And we're giving them out, selling them, giving them whatever it takes. These other new NATO allies want some weapons, and Poland wants to be rearmed, and we get it. Most of their stuff is from the Soviet Union era. But what about us? I mean, these has got to be like Susan Rice decisions. She gave us the great evacuate, the killing of Gaddafi in Libya. Basically, we turned it over to Russia. She gave us uh, the exit uh, from uh, Benghazi, where you know that, and the explanation that didn't work. And she also uh, gave us, the, let's, not, uh, let's not arm the Ukrainians. Just give them blankets. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The Democrats think that it's a winning argument. For them in the midterms to do what the president did during that speech and attack, personally attack, the people who have supported Donald Trump, 74 million of them who voted for him in 2020. As a politician, I say, great, go get him. Go get him, Mr. President, because what people don't like, Don, in politics, and you know this, is people who govern against brand. He ran to be a uniter. He ran and said he was going to bring the country back together, and then he stood on that stage with a blatantly red background, surrounded by Marines, and attacked 74 million people. You're, if he wants you're to do not that, a MAGA Republican. Did you feel attacked? I did, because I voted for Donald Trump in 2020. Uh, Governor Chris Christie, is, he's a great analyst. He really is. And I, did, I always thought it was, I didn't get it with ultra-MAGA, semi-fascist, let's bring people together, but not all Republicans. When most Republicans agreed with almost all Donald Trump's policies, it is really almost all of them, except the pull out of Syria and certain moves in Afghanistan, 
But for the most part, you're not alienating Republicans and saying that. You're trying to get Donald Trump involved in the election. Brett Baer knows all about this. Chief political anchor of Fox News, special, hosts a special report. You'll watch, listen to and watch him every night at 6. Hey, Brett, do you think that uh, Governor Christie has a, a, does a good job analyzing the problems Biden has with that message? Yeah, I do. I actually do, Brian. I think he you know, put his finger on it that, that there will be some Republicans who voted for Trump. And again, we've talked about this a lot, who voted for the policies. Maybe they didn't vote for everything about President Trump, but they voted for the policies that were affecting their lives. And they feel somehow lumped in with the president's attack. And here's what's happening. To your point, each one of these candidates, especially for the Senate, is taking that message and running with it as a threat to democracy. Um, And sometimes in places that are fairly purple and maybe even reddish purple like Ohio, that message doesn't really translate very well. So I think Tim Ryan has his hands full. The latest USA Today poll, Suffolk poll, has at one point J.D. Vance and Tim Ryan. And in a Republican-leaning state, uh, that's a tough message to sell. So also, if you want to motivate Republicans to make sure they get out for the Senate, and the Senate could be slipping away, there's some difficult races there. Uh, Say things like Kamala Harris said, I cannot wait to eradicate the filibuster, get rid of the filibuster, codify Roe v. Wade, and uh, also election reform. That's going to motivate Republicans to to get to the polls. And listen to what Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman said uh, in going after, of course, he wants to beat Dr. Oz. Cut nine. Who wants me to be the 51st vote? <laughs> sounds like you sounds like you want me to be, right? <laughs> but you know what I would do if I was that 51st vote? First, rid of the filibuster. So, right next, codify Roe. What are your thoughts on that? I think that'll motivate Republicans more than they help Herschel Walker and Dr. Oz more than ever. Yeah, he needs to study up uh, first because you can't codify Roe on 51 votes. Um, You can uh, possibly get rid of the filibuster first and then do it. Uh, But you're going to have a lot of institutionalists that are going to step in the way of that. And some of them are Democrats. Yeah, some of them are Democrats. And um, so getting to that 51st vote uh, first is is going to be tough. But you're right. It it is a double edged sword on this issue. And uh, it does fire up the base. I think they're they're cowed a little bit by the spending on uh, the pro-choice ads that really are going fast and furious all around the country. But I think over time, um, people realize that it's up to their state legislatures, and that's where they should be lobbying uh, to affect policy in each state now. Gotcha. A couple of things. The Joe Manchin deal. So Joe Manchin gets this deal about drilling oil and some coal things and some some things on fossil fuels. He'll get into detail. So he said, because you gave me that for West Virginia and you do have some provisions there for fossil fuels, I will sign on to mini Build Back Better. And he did. Turns out it's a separate sheep because there's nothing to do with budget, so it doesn't belong in reconciliation. And they get it. And it turns out about 70 Democrats in the House say, I'm not voting for this. And Bernie Sanders says in the Senate, I'm not voting for this either. So I'm not sure Republicans are on board. Did Joe Manchin get duped? 
Well, we'll see. They have to move it this week. And um, if, if that's the case and he doesn't get this, it's going to be an interesting thing to watch Joe Manchin deal with this publicly. Because people at the time were saying, this is like, you know, Wimpy and Popeye. You know, I will gladly pay you Tuesday for a cheeseburger today. And uh, most deals are not done that way, especially when it comes to tough issues in Congress. So uh, if this permitting doesn't move forward, and we'll know by uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, definitely by Thursday, um, that will be a major, major blow for Manchin. And for Chuck Schumer's integrity, for future deals that could be done down the line, to the embarrassment of Joe Manchin, I mean, all yeah. I mean, he, he is going to look like he's been made the fool. That's exactly right. And Schumer will have to explain it uh, publicly because it was it was a public deal. I mean, that's Manchin went out and talked about all the things that he got out of this deal making. Um, and if it doesn't come to pass, it'll be really something. Oh, it'll be so very interesting. Do you think this is significant? Uh, it looks like John Roberts spoke over the weekend, and he said this about the court in light of Roe v. Wade. Cut 11. The court has always decided controversial cases. Uh, the decisions have always been subject to uh, intense criticism. Um, and that is uh, entirely appropriate. But I don't understand the connection between opinions that people disagree with and the legitimacy of the court. And that's because Kamala Harris said this, cut 10. I think this is an activist court. We had an established right for almost half a century, and this court took that constitutional right away. And we are suffering as a nation because of it. So... I mean, obviously, she didn't stumble into that. She wasn't caught on the tarmac and got hit by left field. She wanted to say that. Calling another branch of government illegitimate, not a great precedent. No, for all the talk about a threat to democracy and a threat to the republic and, um, you know, how MAGA Republicans are, are that threat, when you start talking about a different branch of government by duly appointed lifetime terms in the U.S. Supreme Court that goes through a process in the Senate that Republicans and Democrats make those nominees and whoever is the president becomes the person who puts that nominee forward. When you start saying the system in some way is broken or illegitimate and you're the vice president of the United States, that is a big deal. It's a big deal. And when you start saying that they took away a constitutional right you know, the opinion writers for the Dobbs case would say, where do you see it in the Constitution that abortion is a constitutional right? Guns? Yes, they're in there. Article two. Everything else that doesn't fall in the Constitution by Article 10 goes back to the states to, to be decided closer to where people are living. And that's how the Constitution is written, according to the opinion writers of Dobbs and a lot of experts who look at it. I want to bring you back this weekend on 9-11. When you kill bin Laden, it changes the perspective on 9-11. When you don't rebuild the World Trade Center, it takes forever to get going. It changes your perspective on that day over the last 21 years, in my opinion. You always think about what's going on in the world and the legacy of that attack. The legacy of this attack this year is the way we left Afghanistan. 
And it's such an embarrassment to our military and so unfair to the men and women that fought there and lost their lives there uh, and a part of their body. General Frank McKenzie was asked about that and why he didn't resign. Listen to this. Cut 20. I know you have since leaving uh, your position shared that you advised President Biden not to draw down to zero, to leave a residual force of 2,500 troops in Afghanistan. It's the right of the commander in chief to keep his own counsel and reject the advice of his military commanders. If you felt so strongly, why didn't you resign? Once a civilian leadership makes a decision, even though I might disagree with that decision, it is my moral responsibility to execute that order. To resign is not in, is not in, the, uh, in the history. It is, not, it is not something that U.S. officers have typically done, and it sends a very bad signal. It is a political act by an officer who must need and must be and remain apolitical. What about his decision not to resign, that that's just not the way it's done? Yeah, I think that that's, uh, from a military perspective, uh, something that they think about a lot. Um, they, having covered the Pentagon uh, for almost seven years, I know that commanders think that way, that they may totally disagree with someone's decision-making. They can advise on the front side, but can't really affect it on the back side. And they feel it's better to answer the order than to make a political statement. That's where the purists are. But there are others who say, you know, I have principles and this principle I can't cross. And it's one where I need to step aside. And it's such Uh, a disaster, the decision uh, that you wonder, how can I execute that? You wonder, too, if General McKenzie says, listen, I'm going to have to quit, uh, Mr. President. This is so wrong. It's going to fall in weeks, not months, weeks. And it's so wrong. I can't be a part of this decision. So I hope you understand I'm going to resign. Maybe President Biden changes his mind. Yeah, that's true. And and if you can affect it like that, um, that's one way to to look at it. I agree. I mean, there have been people who've done that, uh, but uh, Mackenzie obviously didn't feel like he was in the position to do it. I will say that I mean, it affected a lot of things. You look back at that moment and how foreign policy, perhaps the trajectory of a number of other things, changed. The boldness of China, the boldness of Russia with Ukraine. Um, may have been affected by how that looked on the world stage. Uh, Brett, who do you have tonight for your panel? So I've got um, Brian Moynihan, the uh, CEO of Bank of America, talk about the economy and what's coming up. Um, I've got Britt Hume, uh, who has his own reflections on the Queen, plus uh, look at politics. And then I've got my panel, and I don't remember who it is. Have you met the Queen? Focus on the other two. Have you met the Queen? I did not. I met her from afar uh, because I covered the White House when she had a state dinner um, at uh, at the Bush White House, George W. Bush. So uh, I was in the press pool for that, but I did not have a personal audience, Brian. Can I just ask you a question? How We're going to be doing this for the next week? <laughs> yeah, we are. Right. We are. Every but day listen, they got I something? Say, I will say that the, the pop and circumstance of, of the moment is a spectacle. And uh, it will only build up as you get to the funeral. So, I mean, it's a world event and one in which we'll cover, but um, in balance. Right. Uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, you know, the, the soap opera behind it, the history that's there, the amount of prime ministers she's met. And we're going to be doing a lot of it. So keep it. Don't don't blow it all tonight, Brett. Remember, <laughs> spread out. Spread out your knowledge. OK. okay. Endurance. Right. Thank you, Brett Bear. Appreciate it. Yeah. 
All right, so when we come back, I'll take your calls and maybe find out if there's more to know. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The wealth of this empire was derived on the back of the people of, the, of, of, of their empire. There is the generation of multicultural and diverse Britons who want this answered, who want to see their monarch finally talk about what it means and what, you know, p- potentially the idea of reparations. Do you believe this? It's time for the king to talk about reparations for things that happened 200 years ago. And why don't we just pull down every statue we can get a hold of as well and get rid of uh, Wellington and your great admirals from years past. And, you know, I'm sure Winston Churchill must have said something that wouldn't fly today. So let's get rid of him. Unbelievable uh, that you have Christine Anapur so woke as their foreign policy correspondent. I'm not saying she's not smart and with great connections. But she's way to the left, like Freed Zakaria, way to the left. Great knowledge, great connections. But anything that makes President Biden look bad, they're that colored. Trump did nothing right. Reparations need to be done. The, the West world needs to apologize for moving the planet forward. And that same attitude, which is take down these statues, are the same attitude you heard right there. Can you imagine if the king comes out, King George III comes out, King, excuse me, King Charles III comes out and says, first off, I'd like to provide zillion dollars to all the places that we colonized through the last 300 plus years. Okay, great. So take down all the structures they built, all the systems they put in place too as well. All the money that they financed, all the aid that they've given. Let's get rid of all that too. They want to pay back. So let's forget we did all that. So I think it's it's nuts. One thing I was getting to before when I thought I lost Governor Sununu, I wanted to finish up on. So if you want to be a unifier, a lot of people say, well, what do you mean unifier? Everyone's so dug in. They have their thing they want to get past. They have their issue they want to get through. They have their philosophy that's got to get uh, verified and win at the ballot box. And I, I give you a perfect example. I thought I laid out a pretty easy example to understand on Saturday. Since both elections, since both parties have been challenging every election, outside Obama's two elections, it was so... Uh, his uh, win was so big against McCain and substantial against Romney. No one's really challenging it, right? But besides that, everything's so close and we'll be close from here on in. You're going to keep saying, I really won, I got robbed. I really won, I got robbed. With the Gore people, we saw with Kerry people, we saw with uh, Donald Trump didn't really win, illegitimate in 2020, Donald Trump acted the way he acted. All of it is wrong. Challenge legally, make sure it's on the up and up for the good of the country, but you cannot stamp your feet and say, I was cheated, I was robbed with no proof. So I asked Ed Rendell that, the former DNC chair and governor of Pennsylvania, cut six. It's part of the overall problem. We've become so polarized. I'll give you a perfect example. Anton Scalia was confirmed for the Supreme Court by 97 to 0. 97 to 0. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was confirmed. 98 to 2. That would never happen today. Why? Why? If the person has judicial ability and honesty, we lost the election. Confirm the person. I think the one thing that your presentation, and it was good factually, but the one thing it left out is 
the key factor is the Democratic candidates for president in those two elections both conceded almost immediately after the results were clear or after the Supreme Court had made its decision. Al Gore gave a magnanimous speech, I remember. I was chairman then, and he called the country to unify. And I think uh, uh, the, the, the same trend was true in 16. Hillary Clinton conceded the morning after the election. But what gov- the governor forgets is factually that day that they decided, the next day they decided to have this Russia hoax a part of the Trump administration and make that an investigation that flourished in a way that they didn't think was possible. I'm sure they expanded past the role of expectations. That was in that was in a book, a Democratic operative book. It talked about they launched this whole rush infiltrated the election right after. The candidates did concede. I'll give them credit for that. But afterwards, Al Gordon complained, but Hillary Clinton never stopped complaining. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.